you fierce females in medicine. Welcome to Dr. Me First, a podcast all about authentic conversations between us, female physicians. I'm your ever sassy host, Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and coach in life. And through my conversations with other female colleagues, I hope to bring you encouragement, inspiration, and fun into your life and practice. So no more feeling alone in medicine because you have now found the community of true speakers, lifesavers, and fierce females who want to support one another. If you're new to the podcast, you need to know that each of my guests has two criteria that they meet before they come on. One, they're an MD or DO, and two, they have to pick a word for which our conversation rolls around. So I'm so excited to share with you episode number 25. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Dara Cass, and she has chosen the word unapologetic. I cannot wait to share this with you and talk to you more for that kick of encouragement afterwards. All right, let's go. Hey, everybody, Dr. Erin Wiseman back with you. And I have an extremely special guest who we are going to be absolutely unapologetic today. That is our word. So Dr. Dara Cass, hit it. Tell us all about yourself. All about myself. Uh, How long do we have again? Okay. So I'm a Brooklyn girl, born and bred in Brooklyn. Uh, I was born at a hospital called Brookdale Hospital, which my mom worked at as an ER nurse. Uh, My formative years are really not that interesting, although I thought they were pretty cool. Uh, And then I went to medical school at SUNY Downstate, which is also in Brooklyn. Uh, I went to residency at Kings County, which is across the street from where I went to medical school. And in that time, I rotated at the hospital that I did, I was born at. So when my mom was a nurse, I came back as a doctor, which is very cool. And then I had a few academic jobs where I started out as a residency director and started doing some work in women in emergency medicine, which is kind of where I found my passion, if you will, or certainly my people. Um, and so three years ago, I guess, or almost four now at this point, uh, I founded something called Feminem, which is a online resource for women in emergency medicine uh, that started as a blog and a kind of website to connect people and has really kind of turned into a thing. I mean, I think it's a thing. It's it is a thing. a thing. It's, it's totally a thing. a thing. I've been listening uh, to it for a while. I'm, so it's definitely a thing. Come on. It's a thing. So it's very exciting. Um, and we have our own podcast, obviously. Uh, and so it's, I now spend most of my time doing work, like basically entrepreneurial work around the advocacy efforts for women in medicine, or a bunch of other things too. I work part-time in the ER at Columbia, uh, where I am the director of diversity and inclusion in the department, where I get to do some of my, like I get to take some of the ideas I have at Feminem and other resources we have and see them into action in theory in an academic department. So I kind of have the best of all the worlds right now. Um, at least it's my job. And then I have lots of kids. So I, uh, I have a husband. Uh, he's awesome, but not extraordinary. I mean, he's, he's a good guy. He's there. And then I have three kids, uh, who are six, nine and 11. Um, and they're kind of funny and get me, let me get away with nothing. That's right. They do keep us on our toes. They don't forget nothing either. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. It, they have better memories than anything I've ever seen in my life. I know. I know. Mine are, so mine are uh, two, four, and seven. And yeah. I'm just, I'm like the age that years are at now. I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, just help us. That's all I can say. It's all about, and the funniest thing is like, you know, when it comes to parenting, which goes back to my word, right? 
um, is I am, I am unapologetic about how I get things done. And so I don't ask for forgiveness. I don't ask for permission either. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, the work I do with my kids, it's like, this is me. You know, I don't make lunch. I don't ever want to make lunch. I'm okay with somebody else making lunch for my kids. Yeah. You got lunch money. You use it. Right. Don't buy right. Too many milks. Don't totally. spend it all. I mean, within reason, right? I'm not having them eat like, you know, bonbons for lunch every day or whatever. They serve that in school, but you get what I'm saying. So my parenting is very similar to my styles and everything else. Love it. Love it. So go more into your word, unapologetic. When I got it across my email, I was like, bango, love it. So, okay. This is where it came from and why it was funny when you asked. So somebody asked me to describe what I do quickly as far as like feminine and why it's different than a lot of other movements for women in medicine or anybody who's underrepresented. And the way that I describe me is that I'm an unapologetic advocate for change, meaning that I do not look back at what I do, when I do it for the right reasons, when I do it for the mission, when I do it because I am coming from a place that I know in my heart is good. I don't worry about whether or not somebody is judging me. I don't worry about whether or not somebody is looking at my, my, um, if I'm coming at it from the right perspective, because I know for sure that I'm coming from the right place. And so I have had interactions recently where people have perceived my dedication to this movement as bullying, right? Meaning like I am advocating unapologetically so forcefully that they think that I am being too pushy. Now, there are lots of words that we could devolve into that describe gendered perceptions of people. What's your rating on your podcast? We're is still it, really new, but we need ratings. No, no, no. I mean, is it explicit? So when I did oh, my own podcast, totally yeah, when I made my podcast, yeah, totally. So when I did my my podcast, I was very, I put the explicit rating because I knew I can't trust myself not to curse. No, no. So, I mean, it's pushy, bitchy, bossy. Like there are so many words that we use to describe somebody who's an unapologetic change maker, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm just unapologetic, right? I'm moving forward and you can join me if you want. You can join me whenever you want, but I am not waiting for you, you know? Right. And so it, that, it actually, it, it, it's a weird word, right? Because it's, I don't even think it's in the dictionary, but it makes sense, right? I am not going to apologize no, for what I'm doing. For who you are and what you represent. And I have all of these, like, you know, on different podcasts, they'll ask me, like, for songs, you know, like, what's your motivation song? And every song I have, it's like, I am what I am, or this is me, or like, I watch The Greatest Showman. And like, I, you know, it's like when you get comfortable in your skin and you get comfortable in your sense of self and you know that you're doing everything you do for the mission and the purpose, even if it's financially viable, even if it's socially promotable, even if it's going to get you, you know, more followers on Twitter and you have all this other capital that you aggregate as a result of being true to yourself, it's still unapologetic. Well, and it's even the opposite way. Even if you lose followers, even if you, you know, it's just, you just show up as you. One thing that I always hold to is may the burn, the bridges that I burn light my way. And I think that is exactly what we're talking about. And I, but you know, it's like, it goes back to like this world right now, which is I welcome everybody out back if they want to come back, if we've parted ways, if they're coming back for the right reason. Like, it doesn't mean that everybody gets a second pass all the time if they haven't changed. But there are a lot of people, especially now and especially related to gender and culture, 
where people are looking around and saying, you know what? I was wrong, right? There is a gendered pay gap. Women do get treated differently in the ER. There is something to what you've been saying all along. How can I help? Right? Exactly. And I'm like, welcome back. Yeah. Right? Let's do this. High five. Let's move forward. Right. You know, and I think, and I think it takes that kick in the ass for people to get out of that complacent zone to be like, oh, you know, get your shit shook up a little bit and say, oh, maybe I was a little wrong when I was looking at this. And the other thing about being unapologetic is I'm an unapologetic advocate for those that have less privilege than I have. And that's a lot of people. And like the funny thing is like when you talk about like gender and medicine and like our ability like as women to be like make less, have less power, less promotion, whatever it is, like we stop there, right? Mm-hmm. And we are like, woe is us. We have... But, we're like, it's a continuum of privilege, right? It starts with the white guy and it ends with, you know, the brown or black person, depending on their position in the hospital, depending on, you know, what they are doing and who's on top, who's like in charge of them and, and what's happened and whatever. But it's a huge continuum and we're in the middle, right? Especially as I am a white woman in medicine who has social credence and some am- amount of academic prestige. And so as much as I'm unapologetic about the work I do for that lane, I am even more unapologetic for the work that I do as you go further into the continuum of the voiceless. And so sometimes that may be advocating for equity in salary for women of color, right? And highlighting over and over again in my talks that we don't even have data for women of color in emergency medicine because we don't have enough to to keep it anonymous when we publish our studies. And we don't even talk about the fact that, you know, a woman in my field, you know, was murdered last week as a black woman physician um, in the parking parking lot by her fiance, because we can talk about gun violence in America, but remember that the disproportionate number of black and brown women that are victims of domestic violence via a gun versus white women or women who are, have other kind of um, other women in America. And so that word unapologetic to me gives me power to advocate for people who aren't like me because I get to use my privilege to do it for them. And, and I, that's why I identify with it. And it's huge. I think I can also relate as a white woman that in the last couple of years, I say, yes, I am privileged. And yes, I will use it to the benefit of others. Because right. for so long, you just, you took, I took it for granted. I just assumed that it was like everyone else. It, for me, that awakening happened when I went to medical school. So I am from Southern Indiana. It's a very white um, area, very, very few minorities. I mean, and so when I went to medical school, it was like a total browning of my life. And it was amazing because I got to experience um, cultures. I got to have new friends. I got pushed in so many directions, not just medical education, but just in the little sphere that I grew up in a farming community to hear about all these different experiences from all these different countries from every different kind of pocket. And I appreciate that so much for my medical school for being color brave instead of being colorblind and realizing the importance of having that diversity within our class and all classes. No, and I think that's important. I think that, you know, the thing about it, um, there's, 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 this is a really kind of big conversation and that's good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that we, 
white women in medicine are afraid sometimes to be advocates for people, like especially, you know, women of color or even advocate for people with uh, like LGBT the community if they're not part of our community. I don't know. I don't know if you are, um, but the, the, it is um, that, that feeling of guilt that we are apologizing right mm-hmm. for our privilege and that we have to do that before we advocate is kind of what I'm talking about. Right. Right. So like it's about just moving forward and to say, this is a fact, right? I can't change the fact that like, you know, this is what happens to me when I walk on the streets or when I get pulled over by a cop, I know that nothing is going to happen to me or my husband. Right. But I can use my voice to highlight the fact that other women like me who are just as professionally successful, who are changing the world, who are saving lives, who are respected in my community across the board, they go out into the, to the world. They, they're in the car on the way home from Christmas dinner. Their husband gets pulled over. Their reality is different. Like, and, and we, that nobody cares that he works at a hedge fund and she's a doctor, which is my life, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares that they have three great kids in the back seat and one of their kids had a liver transplant like my son did and that the mom was the donor like I was. All the truths that I hold to be honest and, and true to me that I think make my life different. Like nobody sees that. Right. So I guess my, the word, like back to the word, it's like, I don't stumble on the apology anymore. I just move forward mm-hmm. and I just do what needs to get done because we don't have any more time. Yeah. It's time. You know? Yeah, exactly. Avocation. So have you always been like this or can you think of a, a time when, when it really was like stepping into it? Yeah. So I think that um, I wasn't, I think I always had the potential to be like this. Although, I mean, as a six-year-old, I probably had a, didn't really, like I stood on a soapbox and I think I didn't have much to say, although I thought I did. Um, You know, for me, the transformative uh, experience in my life, I think, was when I uh, got married and had kids and I kind of got everything, if that makes any sense. Like by the time I was like 30, I was married, had a kid, was a doctor, lived in the neighborhood I wanted to live to. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, I was right. This is exactly the life I want. Like I kind of had this moment where I was like, I'm cool. Like I'm happy. I am like, if, if this moves forward, I've kind of achieved everything I need to achieve to set the stage for the life I want. And I was like, so now what do I do? Like, what does that mean? Right. Where do you do, where do you go from that? And I realized that that's probably when I decided to move on, to change things to make them better for the people around me. So I started with things like getting advocating for women in medicine and specifically emergency medicine around maternity leave and lactation because those were my people at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew what they needed because I needed them. And so when I when I didn't get maternity leave in my first job formally, I created something. And when there wasn't a real lactation facility, I made something up. And as soon as I got an office, I gave everyone the keys. And then I started looking around at policies people had and I started advocating for those things. And then, you know, it's like, I, I just realized as, as my life took turns that I didn't expect, like I didn't know I'd start multiple businesses as a doctor. Like that's not something that I ever expected as a kid, but they all fit that same niche of, solving a problem that's in front of me in the landscape of medicine, um, but using my voice, my privilege, my access to resources to create sustainable solutions for other people. Other people do different things, right? So I don't go and do international work. I don't do global health. I don't, um, there's a lot I don't do. This is what I do. Right. Place, you know? Right. 
then you love it. And that's what you want. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, tell me, tell me the evolution of feminine. Cause for me, I found you through um, podcasts. That's right. initially how I came into it. I was switching over from family med over to emergency medicine. I was getting into like foam and really trying to educate myself as I was making the switch. And then I found your podcast and I just like chewed through it like Netflix binge style because I was wow. like, where have these women been in my life? Okay. So, uh, so. So Feminem started um, because of, okay, so women in emergency medicine are special. I think you know that. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? I, I have experienced that, yes. So women in emergency medicine are special. And we have a very awesome uh, community of people that take care of each other. Feminem started because I wanted to bring that to the masses as a website, right? It was not going to be more than that. And so I had done a lot of educational stuff where I had done like um, social media and foam was starting and we were able to give our education like to the, to the public and then the knowledge translation kind of sped up. And so people were making changes in their practice instead of waiting for a journal article to come down, they were doing it much faster. And I was like, I can make this happen for people. Like, let's make that happen. And so I was like, we'll build a website, we'll put articles on it, people will meet through the website and that will help be how it will start. And it takes a special kind of people to do that. And women in emergency medicine are those people. And so really, as soon as we started, it took off. And um, the website content, we got two articles a week regularly of people wanting to use their voice. Some of it was me saying to people, hey, Erin, why don't you tell me about the transition between being a family practice doc and working in an urgent care setting? I'm sure somebody would want to read that story. And then you would be like, no, but why would anyone want to read my story? And I'll be like, because I'm sure that there's more than you out there. And that was literally how we got content over and over again. And it's true. There are other women like you, but you've never met them, right? So then you would put your article out and then people would comment and you would be like, oh my God, there are other women like me. It would do good for you and it would do good for them. So once we had the platform, the website, magical things started happening. So we started uh, realizing that we could solve problems with the website, which was crazy. We, uh, the most important and obvious one is the Speakers Bureau. So when we knew there weren't enough women speakers in medicine, we had a whole kind of like epiphany, which has been told a bunch of times as a story. But I realized that there was nowhere that people could look for women in medicine to speak at conferences. How can I see them? How can I hear them? And what's funny is other people have tried to build Speakers Bureaus too. And they ask me for things like, what's the plugin? What do you use? What's the, what's the easy solution? And the answer is there actually isn't one. It is a native build on our website. So the designer built it to match what we thought it needed. And we have hundreds of women who have submitted themselves as speakers on the website. That has changed the face of who's on stage in our field, right? And from all of that, and then we go from that to the conference. And then from the conference, that's where the podcast came. So the reason we built the podcast was that we needed a way to get the content from the first conference out to the people. But I didn't want to live stream the conference because something special happens when you bring women together. That also deserves to be protected for women that can come and be together. If we live stream the conference, it dilutes out the moment a little bit. You're checking on the tech. You're making sure that everybody's paying attention. The audio matters in a different way. And that's, I don't want that to be the focus of what's happening in the room at the Feminem conference. 
the room at the Feminem conference is a fix, which is what we call the Feminem Idea Exchange. It's a magical place. It really is. It is um, what we call it, for lack of a better term, is it's not a safe space. It's a safe stage. And so what you do is you take somebody with a great story, an experience. I am a woman in medicine and I am a person in medicine and, and their and is magically lifted off the stage. And in those rooms, like that, it's like, it like you realize for some periods of time, you're not even breathing anymore, you know? And I wanted to protect that, but I also want people to learn about it afterwards. So we recorded all the lectures and we released them as podcasts. Once the podcast platform was built, hell, give me a microphone. I can do whatever I want, right? So, and that's how you found the other stuff because we know there's so much to say about the experience of women in medicine. And our formula is really specific, right? So we're, we go through ebbs and flows. Um, and when we launched the podcast, we did so much content that was kind of almost like a curriculum for women in medicine. Um, and now we do, now we do less because, uh, we are in, um, we have so much content from the conference that we need to, uh, like we're launching like two lectures a week right now. And so we need to like space out, like we have so much content to put out there. Um, but like we're going to do a a podcast next week on, uh, bringing children to conferences. We've already done childcare at conferences. Now we're going to do a, 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 a talk with a woman who was kicked out of her radiation oncology conference uh, for having her baby. And she was presenting. Nice. In emergency medicine, that's unheard of for us, right? Um, we know because we did the study that not only do no conferences, no academic conferences in medicine, I'm talking about from orthopedics to dermatology and a lot in between provide subsidized child care, provide free child care at their conferences. Uh, only one specialty, emergency medicine, provides subsidized child care. And most conferences ban children entirely. Like under 16, not allowed in lecture halls, in the conference halls. But they provide pumping, like breastfeeding rooms. Like where do you think you're putting the milk, yeah. right? It's crazy. So these are the things we talk about on the podcast, which came because of the conference, which came because of the speakers bureau, which came because of the website. It's just a big rolling ball of hay. <laughs> That's all it is. It's not magic. It's like, once you like take that one step forward and you believe in the magic of just taking the step, you get surrounded by so much stuff. And then you're like, okay, now we're going to go on this offshoot. I know that's been very true in my own life that, and if you just follow it back, you're like, wow, that one step really made a huge difference. And that's why you have to take that first step. Right. And again, my word, like you have to just do it. Like, Don't be afraid of the unknown, right? I mean, you have to know what you're walking into, right? Don't jump off a cliff looking down. But it really should, like, that's, as women in medicine, historically, right, we're really good at linear progress. Step A, step B, step C, I want to know. I know that if I do this, I'll get this. If I do that, I'll get that. And what happens to so many of us is we've never looked for a job, right? You graduated from college, you went to medical school. Went to medical school, got a residency, got a residency. Then you look for a job, but you really look for the four jobs around your house or where your partner's going or where your parents are. There's something that gives you whatever. And a lot of women have men too, but we have like, um, like we freeze at our first job search because we're 30 years old, right? And it's the first time we've made a grown up decision in our lives. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? 
yeah, stay in the lines. The lines are your friends. You know, we right. get conditioned to that. We know that if you follow the rules, the rules follow you. It's good. And I don't follow the rules so much. I follow most of the rules. Um, but I, I've learned to embrace the optionality and the uncertainty a little bit. And that's been fun. That's where you get the spice of life. I 100% agree with this. So if our listeners are listening to this and they're like near orgasm, like I am because of how much (laughs) I love it, where can they go to find out more about everything that you're doing, the conference, all of that? So um, I don't know when this is going to air. Um, so I won't uh, giving like dates is actually, I can tell you the dates from now, but most of them will have passed. So first and foremost, um, Feminem.org is a website and anyone can go there anytime and connect there. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter. You can submit to be a speaker. You can read now what is years worth of content that is going to be mostly applicable to anybody in medicine, not just women. Um, there is a tab on top that says events, which has to do with our conferences. So we have a, a conference in February uh, that is sold out mostly. I mean, it's really sold out. I, I haven't told anybody, but whatever. So it's a retreat for women in medicine. Um, we're technically closing at December 1st, but it's sold out. Um, that is a development retreat for women in medicine. And then we have our next conference, our next annual conference next September in New York City. That's the big one. That has room for about a thousand people. Uh, last year that sold out in 10 days, uh, which is extraordinary and exciting. Um, and that's why we keep going a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Um, the two cool things for people listening is uh, if you're in an academic department, um, specifically in emergency medicine, because it's the only group we've opened to, uh, and your department wants to purchase tickets ahead of time for the conference, we call that foundations sponsorships. And it allows departments to actually send women to the conference, which bypasses the need to put the money out, pick up your CME. And it really provides a culture of foundational support for women um, in departments and feel like they're, they're, they're being set there. They're not just asking to go. So if anybody has any, uh, any it knows the department that wants to be a foundation sponsor, email me directly. You can just go through the website or it's just daracast at feminem.org. Um, and you can, your company, your department can actually pre-purchase tickets ahead of time for residents and attendings to come to the conference. Um, and then the speaker's submission for the conference actually opens December 1st and closes December 31st. We get hundreds of submissions to speak now, uh, which is exciting. Uh, and we really want every story out there. We want the most intersectional, intergenerational, intergalactic, if we can, uh, experience of people as it relates to gender equity in medicine. Um, we have speakers that are not in emergency medicine. We have speakers that are not women. We have speakers that are not even doctors sometimes. Um, because it sets this big framework for the idea that we're really all in this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to find me or Feminem on Twitter, it's just Dara Cass and Feminem Tweets. And uh, Feminem has a Facebook page. Uh, and that's most, and then there's Instagram, which is Feminem Graham. Uh, we are pretty boring in how we pick our handles, but we think that they work. There's nothing boring about that. That's consistency, yeah. baby. Yeah, that's oh, why it's wonderful. a brand. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cass, for coming and talking with me today. And any final words for our listeners that you want to impart on them? Yeah. We women in medicine have no more time to be afraid, right? There's, there's just, there, we have to just move forward and we have to do it together. Um, and we are, we're a force and we have power and it's time to use it. Um, there are too many things happening 
uh, we cannot sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm, I'm not kidding about this. I need, I need everyone listening, if they get a little fire in their little belly right now about one single issue that intersects medicine and in their lives, if they look around at the kids in their family or their partners, spouses, parents, neighborhood, community, whatever it is, and there's a thing that's, I am a doctor and I can advocate for healthcare. I can advocate for reduction of gun violence. I can advocate for access to any sort of resource that people need. I can advocate for, it is a time to do that. And do not be afraid of other people judging you. Don't be afraid that your voice doesn't matter. Don't be afraid that it's going to somehow give you consequences at work. Just do it. Amen, sister in medicine. Ah, I love this conversation with Dr. Cass. Is she not just get you all riled up and like ready to go? I don't care if you're right, left or center. I have to appreciate that she is a woman who has found her voice and she is using it. And she is totally unapologetic for standing up and saying what she believes in. I think that is so important in our world as there are so many voices that are out there that we confront our own fears about standing up and using our own voice. So I encourage everybody who's listening, first one, think, do you have a voice? I know that's such a weird question to say in 2019, but I really do think there are still so many women who are censoring themselves or toning their voice back or just speaking in whispers because of either fear, because of cultural reasons, or because of internal thoughts that, you know, we're not supposed to be loud, we're supposed to be nice all the time, people pleasing. So I have to appreciate when I meet a fellow colleague who just unabashedly places her voice out there. So think about that. Do you have a voice? And then my second thought is, are you using your voice to your fullest capacity? So I have to tell you a fun story. So I like to hang out on social media, of course. And I was in one of our doctors only Facebook groups. And the question came up on what each of our thoughts were on quote unquote colorful language in our online presence. Well, if you have listened to this podcast for half a second, you know that cussing is very colorful in my podcast. So I automatically read through all the comments to see what all these other doctors were saying about it because I wanted to see what their opinion was. And, you know, some of them were like, oh, yeah, uh, I use it every day or no, I don't typically cuss. So I don't I don't typically cuss in my practice or online. But I was also catching some comments with people about um, kind of some mindset stuff, talking about um, that they didn't think it looked professional or if it's overused, then it's not as powerful or, you know, that would be uh, inappropriate as a professional. Well, I had to get in there and shake it up a a bit. I confessed to the group that, yes, I cuss all the time, but also that I wanted to call out the mindset bullshit that I was seeing throughout this thread. Because I think it is so important to make sure that you are not censoring yourself because it's, quote unquote, the way it's supposed to be done. 
It's supposed to be done by you showing up as yourself, your full self, with your full voice, if it's colorful or if it's not. You know, on social media, our audiences are not interested in half-hearted playing doctor roles. And I think that we can say that in our real life when we're not using our voice. The people around us who truly love us and embrace us, they want to know us. And the people who aren't interested in it, well, guess what? They don't get an opinion in our lives. The only people who get opinions are ourselves and the people that we allow to have opinions. So remember, your voice is needed out there. People want to know you. They want to know your thoughts. And they want to know what you're offering with your own special way. So if you cuss, cuss. If you're sassy, be sassy. Kill them with kindness. Be fully you. Use your voice. And if you don't know who that full self is, that's okay. But it's time down to break down those walls that are holding you back and doing, quote unquote, what you're supposed to do and find that person who you really are underneath. So with all that being said, be unapologetic in something. Be that voice, that little voice in your head. Just use it and see what happens. Because I think it's so important that we stand up for who we are. So thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure to get through 25 episodes now. Absolutely amazing. And my call to you is that if you are finding these podcasts helpful, if they make you laugh or giggle or inspire you, please share them with your female colleagues. Be like, hey, you need to listen to this crazy Dr. Wiseman on her Dr. Me First podcast and share it. And if you're a person who is feeling lonely, if you feel like you don't know what that voice is or you don't know how to use your voice, I would love for you to schedule a colleague to colleague call with me. What these entails is simply us getting on the phone together, talking about you, your life and your practice and what you really want. And guess what? I hold time in my schedule every single week just for these. They're perfectly free. No sleaze, no selling. I absolutely promise it's just time to do a little bit of talking and to helpfully line out a few small things in your life. So check out the show notes for the link to that. I would love to talk to you more. And remember, everybody out there, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. <laughs>